Luck on Sunday. Brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world. Well, if Michael Owen showed precision and great clarity of thought during his football career, he then went and got himself into racing and breeding. But not only that, he got really stuck in, and he's still stuck in at his Manor House stables in Cheshire, where now the man training the horses and holding the licence is multiple classic winning trainer Hugo Palmer. Not many people saw it coming when long-standing occupant Tom Dascombe left, and indeed they could be conceived of as racing's odd couple, but they're here <laughs> and it seems to be working. Gentlemen, uh, good morning. Welcome to Luck on Sunday. Good morning. Good, morning. good to be here. Um, so how's it going? Great. Life's good. Yeah, we're at the anticipation uh, stage of the year, I think. Uh, all the two-year-olds are, are broken in and, and cantering away, so it's all exciting at the moment. And you've still got that boyish glint in your eye about a whole load of two-year-olds cantering. You've seen this a fair few times before now, and you've had a fair few hopes and dreams dashed. What keeps your interest in the game? Well, the game in general, really. I'm, you know, um, I've been involved in it all my life, basically. I mean, people say, you know, what was the when, when you finished football and then you converted into horses? It's mm. like, what do you mean? I mean, I, they went hand in hand right mm. from the start. I made my debut at 17 in a Liverpool team and, and bought my first horse at 18. Bought Manor House Stables, an old ar arable farm at 23, uh, and the footballing world had a right go at me saying, I'm taking my eye off, eye off the ball and things like that. But horses and, and uh, myself have, have gone back you know, right th throughout my life, really. So, um, so the game just, you know, it just excites me, motivates me, gets me out of bed. Um, and since I finished football, it's uh, even more at the forefront of my mind. You don't need puffing up you've had plenty of that from plenty of people <laughs> over the years and indeed you walked into this building at five o'clock this morning straight off a plane from Hong Kong and was recognized by absolutely nobody which must have been <laughs> which must have been extremely reassuring for you in, in many respects but at that time when you're in your early 20s and the most recognizable person give or take in the land you must have had an awful lot of people telling you what not to do yeah probably and horses was probably the thing that yeah. they said don't do yeah um, hey, and I'm not stupid. I, you know, if, if you were going to have um, a lot of money and invest it into something and make that, you know, your ultimate thing that drives you in life, then, you know, the last thing really I should have done is, is stick it into a into a horse racing stables. But as I said to you before, it's what makes me bounce out of bed every morning. Um, you know, the staff, trainer, the horses, the whole thing, the owners, the facility. When I drive, it takes me half an hour to get to the yard. When I go through the the, um, the gates, it, it, it sends a shiver down my spine every single time. So what is it about this sport that got you in the first place? In the first place? Yeah, in the very first place. Betting. I love the, 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 the betting, the, you know, the understanding, you know, the, the, the puzzle that you could solve, uh, the trainers, the jockeys. My dad always used to teach me when I was a kid, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, watching the racing, uh, who the, the trainers to follow and things like that. So that's definitely what started out, but then quickly uh, changed. And I'd say that the competition, the understanding, I think, of, of being an athlete myself and, mm -hmm. and listening to vets, listening to trainers, um, why, how, what, how's a horse feel, what's it do, why do you do this before, why do you get two canters, not one, why do you gallop it and not? So the whole, the whole thing used to fascinate, it still does. 
And then you, I have cycles. I mean, at the moment, for the last sort of few years, it's the whole social. Um, my life, really, or my main focus on racing used to be, I've got to get a champion horse. And I still want that. But I want a champion stable. And I don't care who, if it's in my colours or not. Um, all the horses at, at Manor House Stables feel like mine anyway. So um, I just, you know, now it's about the business, now it's about success, it's about the owners, about meeting new people, fascinates me. Um, so the whole, the whole business really of running a stable is the thing that sort of fascinates me at the moment. And have there been times since you started the, the Manor House project where you thought, I'm biting off more than I can chew here? Yeah, definitely, yeah, I suppose that there have been, of course. Um, you know, I, I you know, bought it myself, sold half the business to Andrew Black, mm. um, probably, I don't know, what are we talking, 15 years ago maybe, bought Andrew back out only a, a year or two ago. Um, and, yeah, thinking... That's got to be a bit of a gulp moment, hasn't it? It has, Even yeah. if you, you're well-resourced. Yeah, but you know as well as I do, I always liken it to a, a football team, you know, it's all right buying a club. But then you've got to pay the wages of the, the, the players. Then you've got to make transfers, i.e. buying the horses. And, you, you know, it, it, it doesn't end. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, I've literally thrown everything into, into a second career. Now, I still work in football, of course. I do TV work. As I said, I've just come back from Hong Kong, dusted the boots off for a game or whatever. So I still do um, a lot of work in, in my, my, my sport, I, I say. But... Um, but racing, I, I've thrown absolutely everything into it. So you've got to find the right staff, of course. You've got to find the right horses. Also got to find the right manager. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, and I'm a big believer in you, you, you put the right people in the right places. You get the best trainer, the best farrier, the best of everything. And, uh, and then you can not sit back, but you can relax and, and think, right, well, I've done that. All the, the, the right roles are, are filled and then you know, yes, you're, you're there, I'm there every minute I can be. Um, you can guide in certain areas, help in certain areas, but a lot of the time, you rely on their expertise. And people would have laid long odds about a dual classic winning member of the new market training establishment joining Manor House in Cheshire, Hugo. How hard was that process for you to go from something that people would have been very familiar with seeing you in to something completely different? I don't know how hard the process was. It took me quite a long time to make the decision. Mm. Um, I said no to Michael two or three times, and then phone off Vanessa, my wife, and I were um, up in Scotland over New Year, and we'd been away from Newmarket for a week uh, when Michael rang for the final time, and we sat there by the fire. And was thought, it quite well, clear it was the final time? Well, I, I mean, I think... If he had said no, there would have been another final time. <laughs> <laughs> the, time that I, the time that that I accepted, and... Um, yeah, we, we'd been away from Newmarket for a week and kind of thought, well, you know, let's go and let's go and see. Mm. Um, and, you know, moving families and house and everything is never particularly easy. I mean, they say that the, the second most stressful thing in the world after divorce is moving house. Um, but it was something that we wanted to do. And I'm incredibly glad that we have. It's so what, what was appealing about it? I think what was appealing about it was the opportunity to sort of partner up with Michael in, in, in many ways and to try and create something bigger than, than what I'd created in, in Newmarket, which mm -hmm. very much so far we have. We've got more two-year-olds for this coming season than I've had in, I think, six seasons. 
Um, we'll have sort of mid-50s number of two-year-olds, which is you know, a really pleasing number and a big step in the right direction. Um, and it just it seemed like a, like a great opportunity. And I'm you know, delighted I took it. And you didn't mind kind of ceding a little bit of that, that autonomy, because it's a different type of relationship now to, to what you had before. It is a different type of um, relationship, and it's, but it's, you know, you can't be too proud about these things. So, you know, I fully understand that it's Michael's business, but it's a business that I'm hugely involved in and care about enormously. But I, my involvement is, is emotional. I'm not financially involved in the business. I'm not a business partner in it. And, you know... Does that suit you better? Well, the racing world is a, it is a hard, it's, it's a hard taskmaster. It's a hard place to, to, to make money. And um, you need a significant critical mass and you need a large number of horses. And we have, what have we got, 120 horses for next year, which is more than we need to be making a profit, but not massively more than we need to be making a profit. Um, and that's more horses than I had in, in Newmarket. And um, I relished the new challenge and relished a, a new way of, of thinking of things. You know, I can't remember quite how many horses I had when, when I accepted it, but, you know, I... Not enough, I suppose, is the answer. I think it just about enough. Yeah. Um, and it's very interesting. You know, trainers are made by their horses and their abilities. And, you know, I think we had, I think we had roughly nearly 90 horses in Newmarket, and I think about nearly 70 came with me. Yeah. Of the 20-odd that didn't, there's one that went to James Fanshawe, who's quite a nice stayer. I'm not sure any of the rest of them won a race between them. And it's that sort of thing, God, I, you know, I could have said no to Michael because mm. I want to stay in Newmarket. And, and you know, luckily, the horses that, you know, Dubai with Legend came with us and won a Group 3, and Amebra um, River didn't want to win another Group 1, but he came and won a listed race. And, Luckily, it seemed that the, the better horses all, all came with me. But um, I think I'm really excited about where we are. I'm really delighted that we have moved forward, that we have got a larger number of two-year-olds for this year. And every trainer will tell you how excited they are at this stage of the year, because you know, everything's lovely. Yeah. All, all your geese are swans. They're all unbeaten at this stage. But you know, I really do believe that we can produce every bit as good results, if not better, at Manor House than, than we did in Newmarket. And I asked the question to Michael, and I, I, I've no doubt, because I heard it from enough people, that you had plenty of people telling you what you were doing wrong, moving out of, out of Newmarket. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I spoke to half a dozen people, I mean, of, which, everyone, of which, as you every, well remember, you were one, everyone, to ask, everyone to ask has good a view. advice. Everyone has a everyone view. Everyone has a view. And, um, and fine enough, of the half a dozen people that, um, that whose advice I sought, I think f five were all go for it. Yeah, I said I told him not to touch it. <laughs> were you the one? <laughs> I said you're absolutely crazy. Um, it does help though if you've got the confidence of having had classic winners under your belt. Um, you had a a pretty solid time of it with Hugo's predecessor Tom Dascom, didn't you, at, at Manor House? Because he was there what? A dozen years? Something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and was that just one of those things that reached its natural conclusion and you felt as a, as a club owner, if you like, you needed to change management to push to the, another level or do something yeah, different? Yeah, I, I think it was a little bit, little bit more complex than that. There was, the, in the background as well, obviously, there was, there was Andrew Black, um, mm -hmm. who was a, you know, a partner in the, in the business. 
So there was that relationship with himself uh, and, and Tom. So, yeah, I think, you know, I'm quite proud that 21 years, as I say, Manor House, uh, mm -hmm. since I bought Manor House, uh, Hugo was only the third trainer. I mean, I would like to think um, I'm a very loyal person that gets on with people. I mean, it's hard to talk about a lot of things when, you know, when, when you're with your partner in crime type of thing, but we get on like a house on fire. And I and I, I would I, encourage you to that. be as frank as you as you wish to be. <laughs> no, absolutely, the... but you know, but <clears throat> but I get on with people. I simply I like people. I get on with people, and we had you know a dozen great years. Um, but Manor House, I, I mean, I've got huge ambition and plans and everything else like that. So when you're looking for the next trainer, mm. it has to be somebody that can take you there, that's done it on the biggest stage, and uh, and obviously. Hugo was that person. And not just that, I mean, from a humane point of view as well, it's not like I'd never met Hugo. It's not like it was like, right, let's look at the trainer's table and let's look who's, who's very good and, and give him the call. I mean, I used to stay at Hugo's house, um, you know, for all the sales, for Newmarket Racing, different things like that for three, four years before, um, before I even was thinking about a new trainer. So we were friendly before that. I knew him, knew his wife, Vanessa, um, his little boy, who was very little when uh, when um, when I first started staying, and now he's a little bit bigger. But it didn't just happen, you know. It was uh, it was it was a relationship that was already there, and uh, and of course it was a big change for Hugo. Um, so I had to keep my eyes open and my ears um, open, of course. Um, but even though he said no at the start, I knew it wasn't like a no. <laughs> it was oh, you know. Anyway, so that's why I kept pursuing it. Okay, we talk about trying to bring owners into the sport. You've been positively evangelical in your own world, trying to get people from, from football and business into the sport. How are you doing right now against the backdrop of pretty uncertain times? And it doesn't matter if you've been a premiership footballer and you've got gazillions. You know, there are still better ways of spending it. Well, absolutely. And it's the one thing, I mean... There are issues, of course, in our sport, no question about it, but I'm always of a positive mindset. I look at it from my business's point of view, uh, and I see owners... I've never had demand like it at the moment. We've never had demand like it. We've, we're we're going to, you know, as Hugo said, be training over 52-year-olds this year alone. Uh, and, and, that, and that's spurred by demand. That's not just you guys going out and saying, right, we'll just load this full and then try and sell them all. Well, you've got to do a little bit of that. Mm. You know, I've probably been a little bit ballsier um, than normal, but only on the back of Hugo's results, only in the back of a feel that I get amongst owners and people that I talk to and potential owners. So you go there, yeah, not having orders for 50 horses, but you pretty much know that, do you know what, there's, there's, a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of excitement out there. So I can only speak from, from that point of view, and, of course, racing is... Uh, is struggling in certain areas but at manor house we've got more people wanting to get involved than ever before we'll we'll train more horses uh, this year than than ever before um so it's really positive from my side as i say i've normally sat here thinking still got 10 horses to sell mm. i think i've got three horses at the moment um, so we're way ahead of the curve than we've, we've been before and we'll go to the breeze ups with but, a few orders as well. But how much of your, your, yourself do you then have to put into that? How much is it right, I, I, I need Michael Owen to be a part of this in order to make, make this enjoyable? You know, to what extent are you having to put yourself out there? 
Well, that's my job in a way. That's sort of probably my main role in the business. And yes, I, I do. So, you know, there's certain owners that might come in for the first time a little bit nervous. What do you do? You know, maybe want their hand uh, holding a little bit. So you stay in a horse for a leg here and there. So of course there will be horses that I still retain percentages of, but that's fine. Yeah. I, I, I've got, you know, I don't need to own um, them all in my colours or anything else like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there will always be an element of that at, at Manor House. There will always be an element of it. And I would actively encourage it as well. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's great when you sell a horse and it's, it's sold and it's done and dusted and pay a training fee and, and the business ticks along lovely. But there will be certain occasions where I think, Do you know what, might be worth getting it over the line just to take a little bit in with this new owner okay. because who knows he or she could be could end up next. being a big spender big big one yeah exactly and what about hugo being able to compete at the very highest level you've been there with pretty inexpensive horses galileo gold and covert love really didn't cost an awful lot at all and ended up winning classics but you know that's the exception to the rule and you need a critical mass of regally bred horses <coughs> to want to compete at the top table all the time is that possible as a bit of a geographical um, outlier without those huge owner breeders necessarily funneling their horses into your stable every year? Uh, well, look, we, we've Covert Love, um, Gallo Gold, mm. Ebro River, Flaming Rib was second in the Commonwealth Cup. Now, I know he isn't a Group 1 winner, but he was and he fourth in the Haydock Sprint Cup. He was a 35 grand horse. You know, these were not horses that, were, that, that came from enormous no. battalions from owner breeders. And um, so, I mean, the answer to your question is simply yes. And also, other people are proving that it is too. You know, Carl Burke isn't, isn't training in, in Newmarket or Lambourne. You know, for just one example, you know, his success has allowed people to flock to him, and he, and he now has. But do you almost feel like you've got to prove yourself all over again, given the way that people in this sport tend to think and group yeah. think? I think in any sport, you have to prove yourself all over again every single season. And that's not whether you've just moved your yard 150 yards up, the, 150 miles, sorry, up the country. It's every season. Mm -hmm. You go, you know, New Year's Day, you're back to zero. And it is a very sort of dog-eat-dog, -dog, sort of slightly vicious world. It's, you know, everyone loves to pat you on the back when you do well, but they love to, to, to talk behind your back when you're doing badly. Mm. And that is just the way of it. So, yeah. But that's the challenge. That's what anyone who's, who's involved in you. Know, I'm not an athlete, very clearly. Or, but, but when you're involved in a professional, I don't know. Sport, I've heard people say that when you did the show jumping at the uh, <laughs> at the Newmarket Open Day, that you cut quite an impressive figure. Oh, I'm not sure the poor horse I had to ride would have agreed. <laughs> I'm you, saying nothing. <laughs> do you do you still um, head out on the on the grounds at Manor House on your hack in the morning, or or not? No. Um, we do have a very dear horse called Extremity. Uh, my assistant Angie, who's been with me 12 seasons, rides him through the winter and, and looks after the after the babies. Um, he was a, a, a decent handicapper back in the day, but no, I don't. It's I mean, you've been to Manor House. It's not it's not like you're in Newmarket, where the state. You know, my yard in Newmarket was three quarters of a mile from the bottom bottom of Warren Hill. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, um, I fell off my hack the first morning. I had one in in Newmarket. It was a Sunday morning, and I was, I'd gone out with one horse who was having a canter, <laughs> and she cantered up the poly track up Warren Hill, and I was watching her, and I just kicked my hack, because it was his first time ever in Newmarket Heath, into a canter where the, the discs were 
in uh, the, the white disc uh -huh. to canter up. And this horse was a hunter. He'd never seen a white disc before, and he whipped round quick as like that. I flopped out the front, <laughs> front door onto the, onto the sodden ground. And it being Sunday morning, and this was quite some years ago, all my friends who were then all the assistants, like Matt Kumani and Dave Eustace, and <laughs> I forget who else, George Scott was Jane Seth's assistant, they were all there watching their strings, taking <laughs> pictures of it. And my horse had a brand new rug, and it said Hugo Palmer Racing, and it bolted back home over the big roundabout by the clock tower. <laughs> So I, my, my time on a hack um, has never really been very successful. Um, do, you, do you miss Newmarket? No. No. I mean, there are times where, you know, we've got one gallop, we're about to put in a grass gallop. There are times when I think, God, I'd love to be able to gallop this horse right-handed or, or something like that, I'm, you know, and it just doesn't work. There are times when you think maybe... You know, that is the great advantage of Newmarket. You've got 3,000 acres of, you know, if you, can't, if you can't find a gallop to suit a horse in Newmarket. But 99.9% .9 of the time, I'm very glad to be out of Newmarket. Obviously, the sales are there, there's racing there. Um, I still spend quite a lot of time in Newmarket. The only thing that I've missed Newmarket, about Newmarket is, is friends who still live there. But I see them the whole time anyway, so. Do you feel happy to be insulated from the gossip? Um... Well, I love a good gossip. It's always <laughs> nice to find on what's, you know, if you, if you want to know what's going on with other people, you have to accept people are going to gossip about you, I suppose. But um, no, I mean, I, I don't, look, I mean, the, the, the nice thing about Newmarket is running into people every morning and hearing what they have to say. And um, you always get a, you know, an amusing pearl of but wisdom you, from some art the option of not running into people. If you go for a meal now, the, the restaurant's not going to be full of owners and ex-owners and trainers and people that from the industry yeah um, is that a good thing it is well look, it's, it's quite nice it's quite refreshing it's quite nice to go to somebody's house yeah. and to meet people and you're you know and you say to someone you know gosh what do you do and you talk yeah. about their life whereas a new market dinner party everyone knows what everyone does they all do exactly the same thing but it's um, look it's, of course it's, it's it's different but I'm I'm enjoying the difference good and you you smiled wryly when I asked Hugo about whether he missed the the gossip in Newmarket, <laughs> but then you know you know what price you have to pay for being in the in the public eye your entire life. How do you apparently wear that as easily as you do, or is it just an act? No, I mean it's probably been my life, I guess, hasn't it? it was you know since I was seventeen, um, and probably before I guess you I knew guess that so. you were on a path to. Yeah, no, I mean this industry is is uh, is up there with football. You know, word gets. Listen, they're all. Both industries are villages, really. You know, there's there's a set of players. There's a set. Well, of one's a village, one's a kind of little hamlet, isn't yeah, it? But, yeah. I mean, you know, once you're in the inner circle, all of a sudden, every you know, and one tiny rumor spreads, and it was like that at football. It's actually been quite phenomenal in in the last year or so um, in racing. I mean, listen, I've heard rumors all my life, and it's not always about matter how it's about the whole industry but I mean the last year or so well, last couple of years since Hugo's obviously been at Manor House there seems to be a new rumour every single month which is quite strange but um, but no well, you, you've left about five times haven't I you? have yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I mean I'd love to know where people think I'm going <laughs> <laughs> well I think that's it then isn't it? I, think we're, <laughs> I think we're all undusted is it fair to say then that you have quite a bit of confidence in this relationship sustaining as you get to know each other yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, Hugo's not going to be a trainer all his life, is he? Um, you know, hopefully he's going to be a trainer for another 10 or 15 years. Um, 
and that'll be amazing. I'll still be, you know, this will be my life. Manor House is my life, you know. Um, but, of course, this is like a, a well, they're all critical times. This crucial time um, um, for, the, for the stables. I think I've got the right man uh, in place, and I want him to stay for a long, long time. And, you know, we've spoken about it loads of times, you know, different plans, the future, what, what it holds, where are we going to put up the next stable, the next barn, you know, where are we going to put the treadmills, where are we going to do, you know, our plans are, you know, we're, we're for the future. So, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. And I'm not, as I said, you know, everyone knows me, I'm, I can't do anything in halves. I, you know, my ambitions are to, to take it as, as high as we can, you know. Um, people will laugh, but I want Hugo to be a champion trainer one day um, and that would be you know that would be the most f fulfilling thing for, for Manor House to have you know champion trainer written over its door as well so and I know that might sound miles off it might sound pie in the sky but so was a lot of things that, are, that you know that have uh, come and gone in my career. Mm, absolutely I, I mean and if you said six seven years ago Hugo that somebody would be saying I think Hugo Palmer will be champion trainer one day nobody would have been that surprised because you were off the back of classic success but you identified that comments like that get thrown around for a finite period of time and unless you are champion trainer within three years everyone <laughs> says oh well you know that's, well, absolutely. That, that's we, that we had gone. those two wonderful years where Covert Love won the Irish Oaks 2015 Galileo Gold backed it up the following year by mm. winning the guineas and then when we didn't win a classic for the third year in a row people started saying well what's happened well, you know, what's, happen what's happened to Hugo Park? We still had 90 winners that He can't year, turn or, a 30 grand something. horse into a classic winner. <laughs> well, not every year. <laughs> I mean, and again, and I, and I always, and you, don't, you can't imagine, I you know, don't go through a certain amount of soul searching as well. And you start, you start I remember the, the following year, we had, a, I think he's probably still in training with David O'Mara, we had Escobar. And I sort of believed that because we, you know, he was mm. definitely the best that we had, and yeah. he'd won the, the race doesn't exist anymore, the Washington Singer at Newbury. And, um, when he only when he was only a 106 rated handicapper then you know it wasn't good enough if he was 15 percent better he probably would have won the guineas but he wasn't um and you know we've got to find those horses again i do every year you know you, you look at the good horses and you think you know did i miss it mm. you know there but there aren't many group one winners ever that were bought for a song yeah. and go on to do it, and it's doesn't. I'm not sure there've been many. I'm not sure there've been any classic winners that I can particularly think of. You'll probably tell me I'm wrong, but since Galileo Gold, that have been bought for twenty odd grand. Well, if there are, it's certainly a very few of them. I, I want to, to tie in a couple of themes here. You spent time in Australia before you you started training, and, and had, I know you had a great time there. And your wife Vanessa's Australian. You've got a great affinity with the country and admire what they do with the racing. You talked about bringing new ownership into the yard and also some potentially quite big spending people all getting together. Do you think that high-end shared ownership model where people are spending you know, quite a lot of money, but there's 15 or 20 of them, can actually compete on, on, on the Group 1 stage against the, against the huge behemoth battalions? There isn't any reason technically why it, it couldn't, mm. but it just doesn't seem to in the same way in in this country and is it because we don't like sharing quite as much do you think <laughs> possibly possibly you're, you're nodding but at, but at the Could same be, time yeah. you know michael has been incredibly as you said earlier ballsy but i mean punchy and he is he's being very modest he's utterly brilliant at finding new owners to come in i mean he, you know 
you only have to go to Dubai for 20 minutes on holiday. He says, oh, you've just met someone at the pool bar. Wants to come to Manor House when we get back next week. And, but to actually go and, you know, imagine, you know, we, I don't know how many hundreds or millions of pounds we spent on horses this year. But to go there and to take on Coolmore and to mm. buy a Frankel out of a Group 1 winner for 2.2 million is go, right, we're going to find 20 people to put in 100 and whatever, 110,000 or something. That happens in Australia, mm. but I'm not sure you'd do it in this country. I'm not yeah. sure you would find that many people. People would say, no, I'm happy to spend 100,000 pounds on a horse, but if it's going to do that, it's going to be my horse. And one of the reasons why it can happen in, in Australia, of course, is because they're running a race for a million dollars every single week of the year or yeah. you know, twice a week every year or whatever that is. And you've been very active politically and you're going to be the president of the NTF after, time but one? Time but one after Nick Alexander. So Nick yeah. Alexander is going to take over from Rafe Beckett very soon and then you'll be the next man in after that. I was going to say, do you know what you're letting yourself in for? But you do know what you're letting yourself in for. Well, I, I think everyone who's done it has probably felt that. Um, but I think, you know, there's, I've always felt it's important that if you care about things and people ask you to do things that you try and do them to the best of your ability. And I do care about the future of racing and I do care about the trainers a lot. Um, and anything that I can do in any small way over that period of time to improve it, I'd be keen to try and do. Okay, what's exercising you most at the moment? And we're in a particularly crucial time as well with premierization and the thoroughbred group commercial agreements just about to be driven through. Peter Saville sitting there in the siding somewhere. The commercial agreements, I think, are very key. Um, you know, we need to do everything that we can to ensure that the participants in British racing are as well rewarded for that participation as, as possible. Um, and it's all heated up, as you say, quite a lot. Um, we had the um, Julie Harrington calling for more transparency mm -hmm. in, her, in her Jim Crack speech. You've got the Jockey Club opening their books and saying we're going to be transparent. And you've got Martin Crudders saying I've got nothing to hide, but I'm going to hide it. Um, and it's going to be very interesting how it all plays out. How do you think it will play out? I don't know. I do see Martin as possibly being left out in the cold a little bit. I, d I thought his language in his interview in the Racing Post last week was pretty inflammatory by saying he's got, he's got nothing to hide, but he's going to hide it. And um, if anyone wants to see it, they're financially illiterate or economically illiterate. Um, I thought that all, it didn't, certainly lots of people have said it hasn't sat very well with them. And it doesn't also make a lot of sense. If you've got nothing to hide, show it. And I accept that his business model, the ARC business model, is a different business model to the Jockey Club business model. But it's a pretty depressing business model as well. I mean, racing is a spectator sport. And to decide, right, we're going to run this in a way that we're just going to take the media rights money, we're going to dumb it down to a level, we don't really care if people come racing. They're treating it like greyhound racing. It's akin to a farmer saying, I'm not going to plant any crops, I'll just take my single farm payment, thank you very much. And they're going to be an up and arm saying, oh, well, my business model's different to a man who actually plants crops. Uh, Michael, you're somebody who has Chester Racecourse on his doorstep. It is, no pun intended, your manner. You, I'm sure, get extremely well looked after there, and you take an awful lot of your clients there. So on that level, you might be looking at it through slightly rose-tinted spectacles, but given your experience in other sport, how well or otherwise does racing do in actually giving the people who are investing in the sport an experience commensurate with their spend? Yeah, I mean, I might be rose into glasses uh, because I believe that, that I sit on the doorstep of, of one of the best racetracks in mm. terms of how they look after their clients, mm. the facilities. Um, and you are going to get the red carpet rolled out for you as well somewhere. Well, we're probably their biggest client. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, we, I often joke to Hugo, I mean, there's a 
penciled in at the bottom of you must be leading leading <laughs> trainer at Chester every single year that you you're at Manor House, but it's not quite true. But um, but he started well. Um, you did train a lot of winners at Chester last year, didn't you? We yeah, we did, and and the year before actually. Joint with Andrew Balding the year before, and then we... That must have annoyed you. Yeah, really. <laughs> Furious. <laughs> but no, Chester. Chester is a, is a very good course, um, and they look after you well. And, of course, you know, you were touching on maybe some of the disadvantages of, of being in the northwest, um, having mm. a training operation. Whether that's true or not is, is open to debate. But we also have a real catchment area. Um, of wealth, of, of people that absolutely love yeah. a day at the races. We've got one of the best tracks, as I say, for um, hosting people and having that day out. We've got some lovely tracks as well. I think you said when you came up, actually, mo there's more tracks closer to you now than there were when you were in Newmarket. Y yeah, I mean, I obviously, you know, the whole process of weighing up whether to do it, and I went through um, working out how far Newmarket was from every track in the country in Manor House. I think we're actually closer to... 34 of the 36 flat tracks or something. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously Yarmouth, Newmarket, Chelmsford, not. But we're pretty well equidistant from places like Newbury, and we're much closer to all the tracks in Yorkshire, of which there are a lot. So you have that base. You feel you have that base of all the major cities in the in the northwest should all be pouring into into you. Well, that's what we've got to believe. Listen, I'm not going to lift my Manor House stables and put it anywhere else in the country. That's where mm. I live. That's where you know I'm from. That's where load of our owners are and we're going to make the best of it and I take it as a positive that, that we're you know a standout yard in that area um, let's farm our own you know area and then and then go f further afield which we've obviously done Hugo was far and away the the uh, top trainer at, at Chester last season but we're not you know thinking right Chester I mean we've got grand ambition we've got four horses in the Middle East at the moment two in Bahrain one going to Qatar one in Dubai um, you know, a filly of ours were, of um, an owner of ours was was third in the Cape Verde Group Two mm -hmm. the other day. Stenton so, Glider. Yeah, so I mean, it's 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 great that we're, you know, out there on the international scene as well, and we only want to in, improve on that. It, it, that's a, a beautiful way of being able to show you Brown Panther winning the. Dubai Gold <laughs> Cup again. <laughs> I, mean, I would love to say I had an earpiece and I could link any, or help the link. Any, any, any excuse. Here he is, the old boy. Wonderful, wonderful horse. Yeah. No, he was. He was. Uh, he he just gave me so much joy and took you all four corners of the of the world. Uh, Australia, you know, Breeders' Cup, Canada, Germany, France. Here in Dubai, uh, he was a marvelous horse, and yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure I'll ever have one like that again. I'd be interested to know where you think you'd be now in terms of your racing interest were it not for him, the extent to which he drove you on. I'd still be here, Nick. Would yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah, I, listen, he was an incredible horse. I think I'll have a horse probably as good as him, if not better. You might have had life. horses. You might yeah. have had the odd horse better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but not officially like that. not. I think the thing with him is he took me so many places and the longevity of him, you know, he was a stayer and he, he went everywhere and, you know, he lasted for years. I bred him. Um, I'm sure, as I say, I'm sure in my life, hopefully I've got a long way to go, I'm sure I'll have um, a better horse. I'm sure I'll have, you know, another group one Well, you've got to believe that, haven't you? Yeah. But, as I say, as much as that is a, 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 a part of it, I mean... People say, where do you want to go with, with racing? Well, I'm like, I'm, I'm actually where I want to be. I absolutely, as I say, spring out of it. I love 
I love where we are at the minute. Employing, you know, 40-something people, 130-odd horses in training, a trainer that's a multiple classic winning trainer. I mean, the place is just a dream. It's one of the best facilities in the country. It's just, like, what do you want me to say? Yeah, I want to win the derby. Of course I want to win the derby. I want him to be the, the uh, you know, the, the leading trainer, champion trainer. Of course I want all these things. But do you know what? Where I am at the minute is uh, is fantastic as well. If, you know, if we sustain this and, and uh, you know, had a load of success along the way, then I'm, I'm as happy as Larry as we speak. You're the child who owns the sweet shop. <laughs> Sadly, I eat them all as well. <laughs> I had to say it before. Either. Well, I don't, I don't think he'd be on particularly safe ground. I don't think any of us around here would be on particularly safe ground on that one. How's your punting these days? Taking a back seat, really. Yeah. Probably no, a good thing, I, is it? I, I still like uh, the odd bet, but I used to be just, you know, loved it. Every. Were you as nuts as people made out? Did people make out I was nuts? Well, I think there was a there was a suggestion that you were you were yeah. pretty com committed. Committed. We say. That's committed. a good word. Yeah. And I want to. I, I no, need I, to be. I need to be careful because obviously I don't want to be seen to be promoting anything irresponsible. No. But the word committed was a good one. Yeah. Um, no, I would get home from training every day and bosh, racing channel on every. I wouldn't miss a race. I could tell you the numbers on every train, a jockey, you know, if you named a horse, I'd be able to give you its pedigrees and everything. I don't watch racing um, as, much. as much as I did because I haven't got the time to, to do that. Um, and as I say, racing has taken me sort of, and I still enjoy the whole package, but it used to be betting. And, and that's probably the furthest one down the list now. However, if we're on a day out and, you know, I fancy one, I'll still have a bet. I'm not mm. against betting, of course. Um, but I'd be five, ten percent um, activity-wise that, that, that I used to be. And do you think that's just getting older, your children growing up, more responsibilities, just more of a sense of not having to have a bet in every race? Uh, I think it's the involvement of the yard as well. There's that much going on. If I go to Manor House in the morning, I want to talk to Hugo about the horses. Yeah. Like, you know, where are they, what are they doing, you know, what, what stage are we at, where are the two-year-olds, what we, you know, I think the last question would be, oh, we've got a runner today, you know, do we fancy it? I, you know, I think I picked up the phone on a handful of occasions in two years to Hugo and says, do we fancy this? I'm going to have a bet today. I might, if we're all out with the lads in the, you know, in the local pub or something, we've got a couple of runners, I might mm -hmm. phone them and say, what are we thinking here? But in general... I've got so much more going on than, than and as I say, betting probably takes a, a backseat. And can you build this business big enough that it can start really investing to the level that you want to invest in the facilities and the place? Or are you? It, it, does a lot of it still fall on you? Yeah, no, it falls on me, but yeah, absolutely. Listen, I can't go and say, right, yeah, we're going to go and build grass scouts tomorrow. We're going to go and buy half a dozen treadmills. We're going to go and you know buy more land and horses and everything else like that. We have to do it in a, at a certain pace. But that's not to say that the ambition's not there to do it, and mm -hmm. it's not to say we're not we are going to do it. You know, we're going to continue to to up the the facilities, um, and of course, it's all right having good facilities, but you want the good horses as well on the track. So there's yeah. a balance there because, of course, I'm investing and in buying a leg of this, a leg of that, and, and certain horses as well for our squad to go forward. So, um, but it's safe to say that, you know. 
as you know, I'm in mm. Hong Kong this week. Whenever I earn money, it's, it's I plough in. I hope my wife's not watching. But whenever <laughs> I earn money, I plough it straight into Manor House because I just want the best place. I want to give him the best horses to train in the best facility we can possibly have. Um, so, yeah, so I'm not slowing down at all in terms of, of where we want to get to. Um, you're a bit young for me to be talking about succession plans, but you're a dad of four. Yeah. And we know that Gemma's a, a very keen horsewoman and, you know, your wife's been involved as well. Um, are any or all of the children engaged in Manor House and have you got someone to push it to the next generation? I would say James, my son, is yeah. my likeliest. Um, and it's happened pretty much in the last year or so. Really? Yeah. He's, he's a nightmare. He's obsessed, isn't he? Yeah. He's just... Me I mean, when I was quite soon he'll be ringing me up saying well, we're, we're, he won't be asking what yeah. to back it'll be James asking what when, to back when I'm saying to him you know, what you, he's 18 in about two weeks what do you want for your 18 oh, just, just open me a betting account Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and he's only he only smalls he only wants to bet small stakes don't, don't get me wrong but no he the whole thing and he's a little bit like me actually in terms of he loves going racing and socialising loves meeting people and one of the, the best things about Manor House is that Owners come in and they're successful in different areas. That's why they're there. That's why they can afford, yeah. obviously, to buy horses. And they're fascinating how they get to the top and how they get to, to being successful in their own right. And I was reading your, your story recently of, of to how James has got a, a degenerative condition with his eye. Yeah. Um, very rare, isn't it? And yeah. That, and that he'd probably be a top-notch footballer, but obviously that's got harder for him. So is there is there a competitive sporting outlet that could easily suit him pretty well yeah he's got a good atti attitude to life he's an intelligent lad he's probably my most academic i mean he's always pestering me to come to manor house and as soon as i say yes it's like 35 minutes in the car he's right dad how many bales of hay do you use to, to you know to fill a stable i'm like well five a week james well how much is it and then it's like well if you use four then it, that's a bit more on the bottom line and he's just thinking mm. business all the time he loves manor house has he, he got a sharper people. business brain than you yes. when you were that age yeah i mean listen i'm i'm learning on the job in many ways you know i've got people in place um and i'm not scared of that you know put the best people in place and if i'm in a, in a board meeting and you know i'm the uh the least bright in the in the whole room then i see that as a positive i'm always interested when I when I see you at the races and getting such a kick out of it and and being very positive about about horse racing, when the vast majority of people in the sport will talk about how the sport needs to be sexier, shinier, younger, more dynamic, more like football. <laughs> when you hear people saying all of that, what do you think? What are you thinking? Having been in the most high-profile entertainment business in, yeah. in Europe, certainly. I. I agree in some respects, you know, I'd love prize money to be better, wouldn't we all? I'd love everything to be better, but I also think, as you rightly say, there's a lot of people that just doom and gloom all the time. I mean, I'm full full throttle, full steam ahead. I've never never had the business in a in a better shape, um, more, more and more people wanting to get involved, as I said earlier, so I can only go by how I'm feeling. And, uh, and I've got nothing but positives about the, the uh, industry at the moment. So, yeah, there's, uh, there's, there are a lot of things that, that we need to iron out. Hopefully Hugo can, uh, can assist in that when he gets uh, into that role as well. But, um, and there's brighter people than me that will, uh, will hopefully do the right thing for the future of the, support of the sport. But um, 
but there's so much to be positive about um, with with horse racing. There's so much, and um, I, I think as well, you know, sometimes we try to to go after things that aren't that. You know, do we want that football culture? We, you know, we say we want we, we want that younger crowd. We want this. Do we want that? But you know, do we? Do we? Do we want that sort of that? You know, I've I've been in football all my life, and and you know, I wouldn't really want to take my kids to a football game nowadays. So a lot of lot of drinking. There's a lot of swearing. There's a lot of all kinds of things. And you know, football crowd is a is a certain type. You know, it's necessarily the racing crowd as well. And I I, I don't really get that when people say, oh, we need to to bring that type of of, of crowd in. Um, there's a lot to to, uh, to be able to shout about in the game, and as I say, I'm very positive about it. Notwithstanding the fact that we do need to to obviously uh, get our ducks in a row a little bit. People will be quite surprised, interested to hear you saying that. Particularly the bit about what a crowd is like at a, a football match now, when all yeah. I've heard for the last decade and a half is, or two decades, is the gentrification of, of football, and it's not as real and commu yeah. community-based as. I mean, if I was to say one negative about ra racing, it's it's. It, you know, a, a lot of the time in, in recent times, I've gone to the likes of Royal, As Royal Ascot, I've gone to, to different big events, and the crowd has felt a little bit different. It feels quite, you know, angry. and a bit edgier. Of, yeah, and I've seen a lot, lot more fighting than it feels, and, and that type of thing. So I, I, and I often wonder, is this what we're, this what we're encouraging here? Um, but as I say, um, you know, we all want racing to be popular. Um, and we all think it's, you know, it's great, you know, us within. But, um, well, if we don't, we've got, Well, exactly. Yeah. But we've got a lot to be, uh, to be proud of, I think. And when you wake up at God knows what time in the morning and have 120, 150 horses to train and all the challenges that goes with it, to what extent does this sort of mindset remind you why you relocated from yeah. your classic winning yard <coughs> to, to Manor Michael's, Michael's phenomenally positive, but I think he's... Beyond that, what he's saying, you know, he is absolutely right. I mean, all four of us are only sitting on this sofa because horse racing has got under our skin mm. at various points in our youth. We've all become addicted to it. It's our careers. And there are still people out there falling in love with the sport every day. British racing does a huge amount right. It's why people travel from far better remunerated um, systems in Australia to Hong Kong to come and race at Royal Ascot. We do an enormous amount right. Of course, we've got challenges. But I think, you know, I think we should also be prouder of what we do so well. Luck on Sunday, brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world.